you know, it's a pageant. Think how far we could go together, Morgan. Censored Cinephiles fans, the movie review that you've all been waiting for and we've been waiting to record. The breakdown of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. <laughs> How are you doing today, Bianca? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Um, you, you looking forward to this review? Yep, just hanging around in the bathroom at the Overlook Hotel, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, is Grady in there with you? Or? Yeah, yeah, he's just <laughs> gone to go. Uh, we ran out of some, like, um, uh, soap, so he's just popped to go get some, so. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, anyways, how do we even begin a movie that has so many theories out there already mm. and has had so many breakdowns done of it already, yeah, and we're coming with a unique breakdown of it ourselves. We we are. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to sort. So let's sort of talk about the key differences between the Shining novel and this for Kubrick's The Shining, because they're completely different. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as, as we were talking yeah. off air. We were saying, like, you know, I said to you, I think 
Kubrick or King, probably Kubrick hated Stephen King. I, oh, I think it was like a mutual thing. A like, mutual hatred, yeah. <laughs> like King was has not been kind about um, this adaptation of his novel, so because it's very different like there's there's the ending it's completely is different. different it's yeah. A, yeah it's a completely different story like he changes key plot lines and he mm. kubrick even changed little things that don't make any like real sense like the color of the the car going up to the overlook was mm. changed when they go into the meeting with ullman ullman asks jack uh he's like hey, uh, how'd you get up here? And he's like, oh, three and a half hours. And, and Jack's like, you know, that's great time. Or Ullman's like, oh, that's good time. Mm. But in the book, the the Volkswagen barely made it there, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it couldn't it, have been good time because he was going like 10 miles an hour the whole way. And <laughs> also <laughs> later on in the movie um, when... Um, uh, uh, uh the cook um whose name i completely forgotten about halloran yes ha halloran is yeah. going to the overlook um he passes like a car crash and there's a red vw beetle that's been crushed which i feel like was like uh kubrick <laughs> having to go at, at, like uh stab at stephen king so it's like wow that's just really mean it's like yeah, you want it to be red, but I want it to be yellow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so... yeah. Passes are already closed, and the chain law is in effect right now at the Eisenhower Tunnel. I guess uh, we just heard from the news department, Charlie, only a few of the flights are still landing out at Stapleton International Airport. And uh, with these early storms like this, I guess the entire airport will probably be closed within the hour. Yeah, they're just not prepared. The storm will continue throughout the day, and the National Weather Service has declared a stockman's and traveler's advisory for all areas. Uh, yeah, there's, it's not, that's not just like, there's so many major differences from mm -hmm. the novel. Um, I think the character Jack is far more developed in the novel it's more of a sympathetic character yeah. um and his like relationship with danny is a lot more like a proper father-son relationship whereas in the, the movie it's very much like abuser and abusey mm -hmm. sort of dynamic going on there's no there's like fear to their relationship throughout the entire movie even at the start of the film there's like no sort of um love there really I, I, I jack sees danny as being uh like belonging to him he refers mm. to him as the child yeah so there's also the scene in the car where they're driving up to the overlook and um wendy's like trying to talk to him about stuff and then the little kid's trying to talk to him about stuff but he's just kind of like annoyed by their presence yeah. Boy. We must really be high up. The air feels so different. Mm-hmm. Dad? Yes? I'm hungry. Well, you should have eaten your breakfast. He's kind of yeah. like, yeah, like, whatever. Like, yeah, I why, why, I do, why am I having to bring you here? And it's like, yeah. 
when they're talking about the the whole Donna party and cannibalism and then like Danny's like I know what cannibalism is and it's like I saw it on television or something and that Jack's response is like oh he saw it on television and you know don't worry mom I know all about cannibalism I saw it on TV see it's okay you saw it on the television that's an interesting thing and I wanted to talk about that a little bit because Kubrick in his films like Clockwork Orange and these other films is showing that through the use of television people are being programmed and with that scene he's like oh you've heard about the worst things in the world already and you heard about it through what television it's like exposing the indoctrination of the new generation of kids through the television like just with that one little statement there in the car about oh Danny's already seen cannibalism and he saw it on television the kid's like young you know yeah and uh, can I just say like Jack and Wendy are the worst of boomer parents mm-hmm. <laughs> well maybe not necessarily Wendy but Jack certainly is they just seem very like uh clueless and kind of like you know i i they just don't seem very well prepared and stuff Mm. so they're kind of just letting it i I feel like they're just letting their kid do you know go around doing whatever and not really keeping an eye on him yeah but also in the uh in the movie danny appears a lot more like a mommy's boy Mm. but in the book he's definitely uh, a daddy's boy. Like Wendy has constant like jealousy issues about how close Danny and uh, Jack are. And there's no like notion of um, sexual abuse by Jack towards Danny in the book. Mm. But in the movie, I think, you know, Ager and other people have clearly shown that there's Mm. definitely references to Danny being uh, physically abused Mm. in, um, the movie and I'll, I'll get into a little bit more of that later yeah um, when we get more into it there's stuff i want to bring up about like we'll get into it but um i think that's one of the major differences between the book and the movie is the book is a lot more focused on like danny and his like supernatural abilities yes yeah the supernatural and... stuff here in the movie doesn't feel very like it's not supernatural really it, it because okay we're witnessing it but when it really happens it's always when the characters are alone they're never together when the um, supernatural stuff is happening so it's an unreliable narrator in that respect mm. it, it's interesting too because like it's hard to tell if they're awake or in some sort of dream state mm. when yeah, they're and, having those like things too yeah. because there's this sort of shifting and he does this in a lot of his movies where it's hard to tell like if it's a dream or a waking state mm. you know what mm. i mean yeah and do do you get the impression that danny like how he speaks it sounds like he's always asleep or like sleepish like it's well, very like i just got like when he was speaking um in certain scenes it felt to me like it was like deliberately trying to show like 
I don't know, like almost like he's been drugged or something. Mm-hmm. Like it was very slurred, very like slow, very like long pauses. So um almost like he was doped. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, people have made a lot of uh references to the dopey sticker. That's a continuity error where oh. there's dopey on the door in the magic circle. And mm. then Danny has his experience and then dopey's gone. Right. Mm. It's almost like when he's doped, he can't have those experiences. But when he's not uh, doped, mm. all of a sudden he can see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting thing about the little boy is with the way how he speaks is if you notice after he has the experience with the woman in 237 in the green mm. bathroom, um, or I guess it's not green when Danny goes in there, he just sees the entrance to the door. But after that experience, uh, the little boy never talks normal again until after. I don't even know if he ever talks normal again in the movie because I don't think you ever hear him talk again. You do. You hear him at the end. At the very end? At the very end, he shouts out for his mom. Okay, after and, he and lost comes, Jack when he's, in the maze. Yeah, so once he's faced his tormentor and has broken the cycle and has gone through, like, found a way to get out, that he's able to become an, a normal boy again. See, the weird thing for me about Tony is when you look into accounts of demonic possession, right? And I think this entire movie is, in my opinion, it's a movie about demonic possession. Like the Overlook Hotel, if you look into... uh, So maybe we should go to the interview scene with Ullman, which we want to break down. In that scene, Ullman on his, his desk has a book called um the red book which so it turns out when i went to find the video for this to match it up i noticed it was wrong and the book that's on Ullman's desk is actually the hotel and motel red book you can see here on the screen and not the red book however carl jung's philosophy is present throughout this film comes from carl jung's philosophy And it has to do with, uh, you know, and this is a big thing that Stanley Kubrick was into was Carl Jung's philosophy, which has to do with like archetypes that go down through generations and have like Mm. effect. And this is, you know, a big part of the belief with like uh, the occult is like, you know, through generations, these things pass down. Right. And if you look at like, DNA. DNA contains genetic markers that pass down from generation to generation. So I think Carl Jung was kind of like onto what he didn't realize at the time was like a DNA transcribing of um, character traits between one generation and the next, which he called archetypes. And you can see that in this film, um, this Carl Jung sort of philosophy sort of dominates this film. Um, we have these archetypes, yes. right? So like about, Jack... Yeah for instance, becomes in the book, his father. Mm. 
not in the and, movie for some odd yeah. reason no i i guess that they didn't really need to sort of like maybe they didn't want to go too far into his character background mm-hmm. um but that's interesting because danny has the potential of becoming like his father and breaks the cycle um by escaping the maze i thought you just mentioned um uh young and i guess this ties into psychology um when we see the twins in the corridor mm-hmm. if you look at their shadows this is something i don't think anybody has actually picked up on so um i haven't been able to find anything but if you look at their shadows they're not shadows that the, the shadows are joined together and they don't look like people it looks mm-hmm. like an ink block test yeah it does yeah you see i've seen the thing you yeah. sent me yeah so um i don't i guess that's kind of what can you you know they do those tests to sort of establish your psyche and your your what you can sort of see uh is what you know your personality type and all that sort of thing and your sort of mental well-being so it's kind of flashing up is it trying to test danny or is it trying to test us the viewer that's yeah i think it's trying to test us the viewer i think the whole thing is you know because you see a lot of the scenes from like this really weird angle where you're almost kind of like a spirit floating around the it's hotel it's a point of view and you you're seeing it from a point of view um first person aren't you it's like you're you're on the same level as Danny or you're either you're on either on the same level as Danny or you're a higher level you know the the opening shot is interesting footage yeah like you're a ghost sort of yeah flying through and the other weird thing is the music at the Mm. beginning is very 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 creepy Oh, the music is terrifying. You said that you were terrified. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so funny that you were scared of it's, the music. <laughs> it still gets me. Like, it's it's chilling because you have, like, the Native American sort of, like, screaming in it. Mm-hmm. And it, like it the really, chanting, yeah. Yeah, it really sort of, and, like, for me, um, when I was a paranormal investigator, a lot of the places that were actually haunted like actually had like you know paranormal activity that you could scientifically measure were on indian burial grounds Mm. so like our whole country is built on top of and i guess i was thinking about it off air i guess kind of europe is too where a lot of europe is built on the graves of people Mm. that lived there previously we're literally tripping on bones and graves wherever we go yeah so, and that's london, why there's... you london to any if you're building in london it takes like five years because like you just be digging and it'll be like oh here's a black 
death pit. <laughs> yeah. So like in America, the bones that were built on top of are Native Americans. And I think that's why there's so many themes of Native Americans present in the overlook. Like this, this society was built to this entire hotel, which, you know, to me represents the Bilderberg Hotel. Uh, maybe even a precursor to it because <clears throat> um, if people know what the Bilderberg Hotel is, you need to go read up about that. That's a very important aspect of what this hotel is, okay? Mm. So you have the scene where they're walking through with Ullman and he's like, oh, all the best people come here, right? Yeah. And then he says, oh, royalty is included in that and... Um, then he goes, this was the jet set location before anyone knew where the jet set location was. Mm, so like, to me, people found out about the Bilderberg group. I think it might've been right around the time that this film was being made. It was the first like public acknowledgements of the Bilderberg group by Jim Tucker. And then before that, like, where did they meet? No one knew. So like prior to the 1920s, when the Bilderberg group started meeting, I don't think anyone knows where they met prior to that. Oh, wait, no, their first meeting was in 1954. So where did they meet prior to the Bilderberg Hotel? Nobody knows. See what I'm saying? So when they're like, oh, this is the jet set location before anyone knew where the jet set location was and yeah. all the royals and nobles are coming here. I think that's like a big time key reference to like, maybe this was the hotel before Bilderberg type thing. Maybe. So mm. <laughs> just an interesting theory. Yeah. Well, this is what is interesting about like The Shining is you can have so many different theories and they can all, I think the film is built up on not just having one solid theory it's it's meant to be layered it's meant to meet represent and mean different things um because Kubrick is very clever and like how he adapted his work you know adapted novels and made them in his own way and I think he wanted it to his films to have multiple interpretations and wanted people to re-watch re them um, yeah which is why he puts in so many little secrets. And I, people say it's continuity errors, but I don't think that's the, I don't think that that's what's happening here. Like the no. ones that people say where um, the chair moves in between shots when Wendy and Jack are, are talking. I think that is him having a little bit of a, you know, playful sort of, this is a haunted hotel, you know? <laughs> well, well, earlier you were saying to me that you didn't think it was, well, uh, would you want to get into the continuity errors first? Or do you want to get into your theory about, because to well, me, like, I think what he's trying to show with the hotel is what Carl Jung talks about in his book, mm. which is not only can people take on like sort of a conscious to them, but so can buildings. Like a building yeah, yeah. can also have its own like consciousness to it. I That's think, yes. from Carl you, Jung's philosophy. I don't can, necessarily ascribe mm, to that. But you know, you do walk into certain places and you're like, you can feel there's an atmosphere. There's mm -hmm. a, a something in the air that's like this unsettling sort of like 
I had that when I went to the Edinburgh vaults. Yes. And then I just yeah. felt it instantly. And I did have a paranormal experience when I when I visited, which still terrifies me to this day. And um, up until that point, I was kind of always a bit skeptical about anything paranormal. Now I'm like, maybe there is something to this. I, I say, like, I think there's definitely, I don't think it's like the ghosts are in in the overlook are the same that we think of normal ghosts in in other horror films you know yeah i I feel like they're almost like um ripples in time you know when you drop a pebble into a a pond or a you know a body of water you get that sort of ripple effect Mm -hmm. i feel like they're just you know all background static you know there's still stuck in the same time and it's like the time is so they're not they're, yes they're dead but they don't know they're dead they're just living out their their lives and their roles and it's w- w- which would explain how jack is there because there is no time in the overlook hotel all of time is happening all at once mm-hmm so that would explain why he ends up in the photograph at the end and people have said I think Rob Iger pointed it out um, in one of his videos you can see a person who's polishing um, some stuff on the closing day of the hotel and he's dressed in the same outfit that Jack is dressed in at the end of the film oh really? interesting and I pointed it out to you um off air in the interview um for the role of caretaker right behind jack is a black and white photo it's not the exact same black and white photo but it's right directly behind him of a group of people about the job i'm intrigued i don't suppose they uh told you anything in denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970 i don't believe they did like foreshadowing so what's going to happen he's going to be stuck in this endless loop of being in part of the hotel that's interesting you say that because i was watching a breakdown of the scene with danny on the tricycle Mm. and they were saying that when he sees the two girls in the hallway danny's they like mapped out the route that danny was doing on the tricycle I love it when an, people do this, where they try to circle. draw the routes and like yeah. the, the design of the hotel, and it's like it's impossible. No, the the hotel is absolutely a maze. It represents the same maze that's outside in the garden, which comes from oh my god, the 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 rabbit holes that you can go down with this stuff are endless. So the the maze in the garden comes from some famous maze in Europe called like the Hortus Palantius or something. I don't remember the exact name. Um, but the the person who made it, this like aristocrat. So the hotel itself is a maze and it mm. represents the same maze that's outside in the garden. And that's another difference between the book and the movie is in the yeah. movie, there's this maze.
in the book there is no maze it's a no, children's it, playground and bushes that attack people yeah which is really silly i mean i get yeah. it, it happens to danny and he's a little kid so it, th that would be terrifying but like for a but uh, I can explain why okay, this happened, okay? okay? So this entire movie is full of encrypted messages and encryptions and things like that. That maze was designed by Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon is extremely important in terms of cryptology. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the cicada people like Francis Bacon a lot of his mm -hmm. ciphers and things that are like the basis for modern day cryptology. Also, Francis Bacon's writings, a lot of people consider those to be like what the Constitution and Bill of Rights are based on. Like if you read his writings and compare it to the Constitution, a lot of, and Francis Bacon was also considered by many people to be who wrote the Shakespeare stuff. Oh, all right. the Shakespeare stuff, right? <laughs> so this is a very important individual. And that maze is a complete like reference to Francis Bacon, in my opinion. And then the entire movie is encrypted. Mm. So like you have a, a, a clear reference to Bacon. Bacon's tied in with the very elite that founded America, like this yeah. Freemasonic elite. And that Freemasonic elite are depicted constantly in this film as like the elite of the Bilderberg who haunt the Bilderberg hotel. And the reason I think they're stuck there is because these people are a bunch of, you know, child abusing, demonic, satanic okay, people okay. that got <laughs> okay, stuck in the hotel, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Good evening, Mr. Torrance. Good evening. So that's what I think Kubert's trying to depict there. And I think you were on to something really important with like what Kubrick saw maybe in Hollywood, which would have led him to want to expose this type of stuff. So yeah. do you want to get into like, so we were talking about the psychology of the twins and like what you yeah. saw on the carpet there. But mm. what else did you notice? Like we were talking about the twins a lot. And I, mm. I think they're important because I feel they're not like in the, the book. They they're the answer to the the movie. Like the yeah. whole twin symbolism um and reflections and mirrors and doors are like prevalent throughout the entire film. It's like something that like when you see the twins the first time, like properly see them, they meet Danny. They're there's behind them is a set of twi twin doors so it's like a gateway opening danny up to something it's mm -hmm. like is he uh, i think it uh robert Iger touched on like the twins represent danny's abuse and split personality and then they have to come together as a whole like danny has to find his way out of this uh, maze of abuse and break the cycle and the loop in order to become whole again mm -hmm. um, and I think the twins how they're depicted and the look of them is really interesting I I think what color do you think their hair is because I think it's light brown blonde 
Yeah, it's pretty light, lightish brown, blonde. Yeah, yeah, it's not completely blonde, but um, whenever we see twins or two sets of women in the film, we see the girls saying goodbye to um, Ullman, and he, he says, and they're, they're both blonde. You, you would, they might not necessarily be tw- be twins, but they're very close to being twins. Bring the winner. Oh, goodbye, Mr. Ullman. Goodbye, girls. And here are your quarters. Um, and he says goodbye, girls. He calls them girls, uh, even though they're, you know, grown women. And Jack looks at them. He's instantly attracted to them. Next time that we see a young blonde woman is in the bathroom of room 237, and then she becomes her, like, uh, older version of herself. Um, yeah. So, I and how Danny's hair color comes into that is Danny has very light brown, almost blonde hair. Um, it's not a pro- I don't think he's a product of like his parents. <laughs> they both have really dark hair, which is really interesting because Wendy in the book is blonde. Yeah, that's uh, another one of those things when I was yeah. watching the movie, I was like, King describes her as blonde, and then Kubrick casted a woman with jet black hair. Yeah, yeah, completely the opposite. Yeah. Um, and what I I feel is that definitely Jack um, has been sexually abusing Danny. Um only in the uh, movie, though, not in the book. Only in only in the movie, yeah. yes, not in not in the book. Um, in in the movie, he has been abusing him, and um, the attraction of blonde hair, very uh, attractive women, is something that he is drawn to, and the closest thing that he has to that is represented in his son, and I feel like. I almost feel like the scenes that happen in The Shining in the Overlook Hotel are repeated scenes that have happened before in Danny's life. Um, and the same reaction that Wendy has is the same reaction that she's had in, before in the past. Like she brings it up. And so it's like they all, it's almost just like this repetition type of thing, this cycle. And it's to me um, what made me realize that. It was Danny being lured into room 237 by a human was the fact that if the door wanted to be unlocked by something supernatural, we've already established that doors can be unlocked by, uh, we established this later in, in, in the film when Jack's locked in the larder, the door just opens on its own. There's no mm-hmm. keys being turned or, but in for room 237, the key is in the door. door has been opened by someone physically mm-hmm. like what well, well, like a, a spirit's just gonna go down 
pick up the key, float it up, and <laughs> just imagine like this little key floating. <laughs> um, and then the ball rolls to Danny. Mm-hmm. Last time that we saw that tennis ball, do you remember when was the last time we saw the tennis ball? Yeah, you told me before off air. You said Jack was playing with it. That's all I know. Yeah. So I think Jack is luring Danny into that room. And then when Jack goes up there, he's almost like blacked out what's happened. So when he goes into the the bathroom, he's thinking, um, he's visualizing like... um, the attractiveness and the blondness of the young woman and then it dawns on him what he's done to his son and that's when the woman becomes grotesque that's when he's like confronted with what he has done as a person yeah but doesn't that take place after the incident because like he has the conversation with wendy yes and then that's he what i'm saying there. yeah that's what i'm saying he's returning to that the scene of the crime is being confronted with what he's done okay see i think it's wendy in the room and that's because when danny's playing on the rug and the ball rolls over to him and just before we get to the next point i when i was in waverly hills sanatorium doing a paranormal investigation one of the paranormal activities that took place was a ghost rolled a ball very similarly like that to us (laughs) Yeah. So okay, I've so, had that experience okay. myself. And yeah. like, that's definitely like a very typical paranormal type activity that takes place. Now, the key thing I agree with you, I think after the ball rolled to Danny, which freaked Danny out, he then was like playing in the hall near where his mom was like cleaning or doing whatever she was doing. Because you'd want to be near your kid. Like, you don't leave your little kid in some weird I don't part know. Of the I feel like he's, they're not paying very much attention to him. I feel like they're just letting him go and okay. like, do but, whatever he but wants. But Danny's calling out for his mom. He's like, Mom? looking for her like she's right around the corner right and then the door is open to that room and then when Danny is standing with Wendy like he's not like his normal self with her he's almost like not like reaching out for a hug or anything he's just kind of like sucking his thumb and she's kind of like putting herself onto him and I almost think that the the neck grab thing was done by Wendy. Um, I'm not positive though. I don't really buy that. I think it is more likely to be Jack. I yeah, think more likely to be Jack, yeah. Because, um, although that could be the explanation as to why, when we see the choking poster behind Wendy. 
in the boiler room, which is the scene just before Jack's shouting and uh, when he's asleep at the typewriter. And yeah. That leads on to Danny coming into. He, he looks into the room and then it goes right to his mom. Hmm. But she, yeah, but she's down. She's step. in the boiler room. I, I, I think it's more likely the choking thing is like oh the maybe some maybe is Danny trying to warn to get her attention that it's happening that we see those posters like it's like a uh, a way or maybe it's just um, Kubrick trying to set us up for what's happening but I just think it's interesting that we see that poster and you see the word choking it's Mm -hmm. like the same when we see the word monarch like certain words and stuff appear on posters it's very like there to grab our attention like the exit sign when we see the twins yeah so the monarch poster mm -hmm. i thought was really interesting because of how monarch mind control programs work Mm. so what happens with the mind control program the monarch program and this has been talked about a bunch of different places but one of the things they do is they break a person down like they did to Alex and Clockwork Orange, mm. right? Where they, they break you down through the use of drugs and things like that to erase your personality. And then mm. they implant new personalities in the yeah. person that can which be is, triggered. Yeah, by which would explain what's happening to Danny because yeah. of his friend, Tony, who is a little boy that lives in his mouth and hides in his stomach which is a really weird way of it's not weird it's not (laughs) weird if you look into accounts of demonic possession so a lot of times in accounts of demonic possession people describe the thing that's inhabiting them as being in a certain specific party uh part of their body like oh it's in a lot of times people Hmm. describe that as being in like a certain body part like they'll say okay. like oh it's inhabiting like you know my stomach or my throat that's like a very typical thing that like people that experience that you know you can make the argument if that's real or not but it's been something documented for like hundreds of years that people have experienced that type of thing going on um and the interesting thing to me with like Danny is is like the hotel really wants Danny because of his like supernatural powers Mm. right his ability to like shine or whatever and it's almost like it's it's doing everything it can to get at every person's weakness so like it preys on jack's like desire to drink and it Mm. preys on danny's like ability to see things and like shows Mm. him things to like further scare him and drive him into fear which is what demonic things feed on right they feed Mm. on fear and they feed on that and the more scared the inhabitants of the overlook get the more the activity starts to pick up right right Right? yeah yeah like when wendy's freaking out she starts seeing everything all of a sudden Mm. right yeah so that all kind of lines up with like a typical ghost you know narrative right Mm. Mm. But yeah, let's get back into the the twins. So you noticed we were talking off air about like Kubrick and like his role with Hollywood and 
what the twins might actually represent in the real world and how it ties in with like you it know ties, yeah i'm making a very interesting leap and theory here so i'm this is new i can't obviously prove anything um but i it, it's interesting in terms of kubrick's um from not filmography and certain decisions that he made um so i'm going to take you sort of back to 1960 um with the film spartacus which is a film directed by stanley kubrick and stars kirk douglas um kubrick had worked with kirk douglas previously on a film called paths of glory um which kubrick had a lot more creative control over um, it was probably more of a project that he was invested in and interested in. And Douglas was using it as like a vehicle to sort of prove his acting um, chops, you know. Um, and he had got on quite well with um, Kubrick. They had a fair bit in common in terms of like upbringing, both being sort of like sons of immigrants. And it was like a movie that kind of was in line with their sort of views in terms of like, you know, um, um, you know, the function of the army and peace and um, corruption in in like um, organizations. And anyway, so Kubrick wasn't signed on to do Spartacus originally. That was Anthony Mann. And um, he was fired by Douglas um, because he Douglas didn't think he was doing a good enough job. And so Kubrick, who was still quite young at the time, um, was hired by Douglas to come on to do Spartacus. Now, Spartacus is not a Kubrick film. <laughs> you can watch um, Spartacus and you can see certain elements of Kubrick, Kubrickisms, I guess. I don't know what to call them. Kubrick-esque type of things. Um, but it was, it's very much a Hollywood project. Immediately after that movie, uh, 1962, um, Kubrick makes the decision to film Lolita, which is a very, you know, people who, who know of that movie know what it's about. Um, it's a very strange choice to make, uh, for a, a director who had, could make anything, I guess, um, seeing as he's just filmed like a, a big epic. Um, he's in that time of Spartacus has moved from America to take up um, base in the UK and would never return to America. Mm -hmm. um, the sort of main, um, the, what people say is that he just didn't like the fact that he couldn't have creative control over Spartacus and he just didn't like the whole Hollywood studio system, which was collapsing at the time. Um, and that's his decision to move to the UK. But I think it's a bit deeper than that. I think there's more to it. I don't think it's just that simple reason, because why would you, you know, if you want to enhance your career, why would you leave Hollywood? You know, and yeah. up and up. Oh, up until that point, Kubrick had been making some kind of commercial movies and he even wanted to change the ending to Paths of Glory to make it more commercial. 
because he knew like it wouldn't he wanted to sell the movie so he wanted to put on a happy ending which kind of does have a sort of happy ending in a way um i reckon something took down uh something happened on spartacus on the set of spartacus and i think Kubrick possibly learned something and some was you know found some very disturbing stuff out about the hollywood elite this is obviously something that he is now being introduced to um by the likes of douglas and up until that point he'd been living in new york he wasn't from la so he wasn't familiar with this uh this culture of hollywood um now douglas uh has is uh has had a very uh he's dead now so i guess i can say whatever <laughs> um douglas is a rapist um allegedly a rapist of natalie wood uh when she was 16 uh you can find this information out um quite easily by googling it um it's something that natalie wood's sister was informed of um there is also speculation that um uh, now i cannot remember i'm so sorry i can't remember the actress's name um but let me just have a quick look bear with me two seconds the speculation that douglas is behind the missing uh a missing woman um so let me just find it just bear with me two seconds it's interesting you say that because when i looked up images of natalie wood when mm. she was a child the images look like the two twins in the movie The Shining. Right, yeah. And um, I think it was Ager or one of the other film critics ah. found out that the girls in The Shining are modeled after two girls that appeared in a background making of The Shining documentary. Yes. And yeah, the, they're like the... a combination of the two girls. So like they look like the one girl, but they dress like the other. And I, mm. I do think that those twins are meant to represent one girl because yeah. of the way they do like the as above, so below, like mm. when they're slaughtered, they're laid mm. out in the hallway very symmetrically mm. and one's facing one way, one the other. So like yeah. the, and you see that a lot, like in this film, there's a lot of like Masonic sort mm. of references in the film, like when Jack's at the typewriter. Mm. and you see him from behind you have like the staircase ascending in front of him and it looks like he's in a temple yeah, right like yeah, when you go into a masonic lodge it looks very similar like that inside for where mm. jack's sitting and jack's sort of going through like the initiation process for the elite in the movie yeah um which for them would lead to jack like blood sacrificing his family right yes so like um, that's how he enters the elite is if you want to be a part of us you need to sacrifice yes. your family so right? uh, yes which is interesting <clears throat> uh, i've just found out who the woman who went missing uh has a tie-in with kurt douglas her name was jean spangler and okay. she was just a extra in some movies but she had previously her last movie that she was an extra on one of her last movies was a movie called Young Man with a Horn, starring Kirk Douglas. There was a, her handbag was discovered when she went missing and it had a note saying, Kirk, 
can't wait any longer. Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work out best this way. What best this way while mother is away? Ooh, she's probably pregnant. Mm. That's that sounds like to me. Yes. So they, they speculate that she was going to go have a backstreet abortion, and something went ha- wrong, and she went missing. But yeah. I just think it's very interesting. Kurt Douglas then called the police to say he didn't know her. He was like, I have no ties to this woman. I don't know this woman. I may have spoken to her once or twice on set. But he called them mm. to say that. They didn't go, they didn't contact him um, to go questioning him or anything. He made the decision to call them ahead of time to say that. Um, there's other things um, that obviously Kurt Douglas had been abusive to um, his one of his ex-wives or something like that and had had numerous affairs but so my thing is like what Kubrick is trying to show is um, like the Hollywood elite and the abuse of children so that's what I think is something a pattern that he continues with his films it's not just in The Shining Uh, it's obviously uh, you know in A Clockwork Orange it's another another film that's quite interesting and what happens at the end of Eyes Wide Shut a little girl is led away by two men much older and uh, a little girl who has kind of blondish hair so after we were done filming the podcast, we found more evidence of the chair theory where Kirk Douglas attacked Kubrick with a chair on the set of Spartacus. And then if you take a look at the scene with the twins, in the scene with the twins where they're slaughtered, which we think might represent Natalie Wood, you see that there's an overturned chair in the hallway, which makes no sense. Why would there be this chair in the hallway unless that's symbolic of the chair that Kirk Douglas threw at Stanley Kubrick on the set of Spartacus? Yeah. Uh, he keeps referencing the like the elite quite clearly. Mm. So like... <clears throat> Oh, God, like there's so much in this movie that ties it back to the elite. So, like, obviously, this is a reference, in my opinion, to the Bilderberg Hotel with the overlook. Mm. And then you have the references to, like, in that photo at the end with Jack in it, there's a Mm. guy that is in the photo that looks exactly like the chairman of the Federal Reserve, right? Mm. And you have, like, God, like with Danny himself, for instance. So, Like, Max Spears is a, like, renowned guy who's broken down, like, child abuse by the elite in Hollywood and stuff like that. So if people aren't aware of Max Spears' work, you should go look into it. And basically, what he describes is, like, what the elite do to their own children through generational abuse, which I think is shown in this this film is like this generational cycle of abuse Hmm. and so with danny to achieve enlightenment for the elite like what they do is they have to engage the chakras so to do that to like a small child according to max spears what they do is 
they anally rape a child at a very young age which breaks the first chakra which is like the lowest chakra on the cycle and then by doing that it allows the child to eventually achieve the ability to shine right to become one of the special children okay mm -hmm. and this all originated out of like the mk ultra monarch type programs that came originally from nazi germany in the concentration mm. camps right yeah and yeah. you can see on danny's shirt when he's at the the mirror first having his first experience he mm. has the number 42 yeah. on his jersey now if you look up that number that number references back to 1942 when the concentration thing camps thing started so that's a clear reference to that but it's also a reference to kabbalah and a lot of these like hollywood elitists that are into this very creepy stuff that you know would be depicted in things like eyes wide shut are into mm -hmm. kabbalah right so in kabbalah the number 42 is extremely important it represents the name of god to them mm -hmm. and to a christian the Kabbalah God would be Lucifer or Satan. Okay. Right. So like, it's, and he has the pentagrams on his shirt, not facing up, but down. So he has 42 and the upside down pentagram on his shirt. To me, it's referencing, you know, 40, as the Wikipedia states, 42 is the number which God creates the universe in the Kabbalistic tradition. In Kabbalah, the most significant name is that of En Sof, also known as Ein soul, infinite or endless, and who is above the Sifrot, sometimes spelled Sephirot. The 42-lettered name contains four uh, combined names, which are spelled in Hebrew letters. Spelled in letters equals 42 letters, which is the name Azulut or emanation. <clears throat> so there are obvious links between 42-lettered name of the Babylonian Talmud and the Kabbalah's 42-lettered name. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is what I think they're referencing with that. And it's referencing all the way back to the beginnings of how like the Nazis infiltrated the United States. That's mm -hmm. why there's like the references to the Apollo stuff that people mistake mm -hmm. for being connected to the moon landings because the references to NASA in this film are references to this group of elitists that are mm. tied into the highest levels of military industrial complex that infiltrated the U.S. via the Nazis and Operation Paperclip, which led to the creation of MK Ultra and Monarch um, mind uh, control yeah. programmings, right? Yeah, which is why this when the twins we see them first time we see Monarch because of obviously twins and the experiments that took place a lot. You were saying that the you were explaining that why they use twins so much was because they thought the twins had like psychic abilities and they were trying to unlock that yeah and another huge key to me this was so mm. a few years back carolyn lamaco and i broke down this new coded language that these people are using so like when we looked at people like the rockefeller family and we looked at like paris hilton who's now married to a rothschild um what we found is that these people are using cartoon emojis to represent different things. So like mm. in the uh, 
human trafficking world, they use different things like roses represent money. Okay. Like right. they use coded language like that. So like, oh, how much do you owe me for my services? 300 roses. Okay. Mm. And then they use that symbolism. And like, we found they were using different symbols to represent like underage people for sale. Mm. So like in this film, you see these scenes with like the cartoon characters constantly. And this mm. ties into like this child trafficking network and the symbolisms that they've been using for a long time and continue to use today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, I've we're talking about the Apollo stuff um, mm -hmm. and what we uh, when that would, uh, Danny's wearing that jumper. Um, I do. I do. I mean, I do think it's interesting. I can understand where people are trying to make the have come up with the theory of this. And I do think, yeah, it's like who if you were going to recruit somebody to fake the moon landings, wouldn't you recruit? the person that did 2001 a space odyssey which up until that point was like the best movie with special effects that, about space you know and um i do it's a to me that's like a really fun theory and i kind of like it um it's like i wish i kind of wish that was true and that's what kubrick was like trying to say with this movie um yeah. that would be like a really nice happy sort of like not well I guess not happy but you know um it would be like a more <laughs> like it's something that you could easily sell <laughs> than other theories about what the shining's about especially ours um yeah. <laughs> but I do I just wanted to say that how the rocket is pointing up towards Danny's mouth to me it's like a very phallic sort of thing yeah. I think that's trying to indicate like this child has been abused this is what's happened and again we when we see sort of phallic uh the next time we see phallic sort of weird patterns I guess you know symbols is on the rug or the weird carpet in room 237 mm -hmm. like it's just so blatantly a penis to me like I can't not look at you know with the purple and the green rug I um, didn't notice leading... that yeah <laughs> well clearly I have something on my mind <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh, when it's like leading up to the um bathroom which is the scene of the crime you can see its penises like going up there that's interesting. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. And I just wanted to say you was we were sort of talking about Germans. The typewriter that Jack uses is a German typewriter. This oh, is, is it? Yeah. Yeah, this picks up on Room 237, which I don't know if you've seen, which is a very interesting documentary where people make a case for their theory about what The Shining's about. And there's of one of them is it's talking about um the holocaust and what happened and they make some very good points they've said about 42 about that being the year okay and they've pointed out the german typewriter it's very it's just like of all the typewriters you could choose why go for that one with the eagle and everything and um again they mentioned that some of the stuff they said it has an eagle on it Yes, it has the eagle on it. So 
the that's the same that was in uh the the big bad scene if you remember from eyes wide shut they have an eagle over the room like overviewing the room which is a reference to rome's use of the eagle and mm. this elite that have right. existed so, yeah, since rome which is why yeah the in babylon the, before that yeah the, the bad guys um yeah used it <laughs> because obviously it's like what they based their sort of well the nazis took it from the roman empire yeah yeah right and it, it's a yeah. symbol of the the phoenix which is the original symbol of lucifer mm. right but, yeah so it's interesting there's some really good theories in room 237 which is a really great documentary i really like it because like people you use like this film as evidence to back up their theories and i think that's it just goes to show how how this film has captured so many people. And, and you ever heard of the uh, Vril Society from Nazi Germany? This was like an inner sect of high Nazi officials that were mm -hmm. into what's called the Vril, and it was they believed that like people had like a life force energy that was within them and was like supernatural, and they could like tap into. This is like a big mm. belief within the Nazi party. That that's what they were into all types of weird stuff. Remember, they were trying to like yeah. find different sacred relics and things. <laughs> this was all part of their like. I very just thought strange... that sort of stuff happened in Indiana Jones. I no, this that. is like, this is a I legit was, thing. Like, I was like, I was like, that's just Indiana Jones. That's just a film. But obviously, like, the truth is always hidden in films, so I guess. One of the main things they were looking for was the Just Judges panel that went missing from the Ghent altarpiece that I think I located in my Cicada 3301 series. Are and you just reason... trying to plug that? No. Like you plug no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I'm trying to, because be, that Ghent altarpiece supposedly on the back of it had a map that would mm. lead people to sacred artifacts like... Mm. Um, the spear of destiny or the nails that held jesus on the cross or maybe possibly something else like the uh, ark of the covenant or something mm. um but that's that's one of the things that the nazis were verifiably searching for yeah like ancient just, relics yeah right? i so. just think uh, yeah so um yeah. Get back to the shining. Yeah, Let's get back, get to, the back shining. to the shining. So getting back to the movie, um, we had a really interesting discussion about the gold room. Mm, and yes. I wanted to bring something up because you had noticed something in Eyes Wide Shut, which was in the ballroom and the party room where they all were meeting, there was the thousand points of light on the walls. Oh, yeah. So the, yeah. Now, I want to make a point about something really quick. So the party in the Overlook was in 1921, mm. right? And the room was made of what? Gold. Mm. Because okay. in 1921, the banking system was based on gold reserves. Mm. In the year 1933, that changes. And then after that, the banking system's based on what? uh credit artificial <laughs> nonsense <laughs> yeah. just made up nonsense yeah 
So like, the ballroom goes from being gold to being artificial white light. Right. This blinding white light. It went from gold, which was real, to the new parties in white, in artificial light. Yeah. Right? You see the difference there? Like, mm. I don't know if that's anything, but in the gold room, they are talking about like money. credit uh, and credit, money. Yeah. Because uh, Jack goes to pay and he's told his money's no good here. No charge to Mr. Torrance. No charge? Your money's no good here. Yeah, and I think Ager did a video called The Gold Room where hmm. he broke all this down. And like, it makes a lot of sense because money from after the year 1933 to people that were around before that has no value because hmm. before 1933, you could go in and change your dollar bill for gold or silver, right? Yeah. You could get the equivalent in gold or silver from the bank for your dollar note. After 1933, the gold standard was removed by Woodrow Wilson, I believe it was, and he is depicted, his entire administration is depicted in that image with Jack at the end of the movie. Like, right. there's a bunch of people in that that look like people from the, including Woodrow Wilson himself, looks like he's been, not exactly him, but like a lookalike. Right. So like, it's almost like they're trying to say that like modern money has no value. And then someone else was talking about how Kubrick didn't believe in, mo in like money. He kept all mm. of his savings in gold. Yeah. So maybe he knew, like he must've known about all this. He was so far oh, ahead yeah. of the <laughs> truth movement. that We're like just figuring out the stuff that Kubrick knew like 30 years later right <laughs> so I wonder if Kubrick was around today he would have Twitter I don't know yeah. <laughs> I just think it was like would Kubrick have a Twitter account <laughs> probably not <laughs> no no I don't think yeah, so I don't think so yeah um, but um yeah it's that is interesting and you said that oh the gold room doesn't exist in the novel which is another deviation on on that so there is a bar room but it's not described as a like a gold room no no right and oh i thought this is another interesting thing is grady has a english accent and we were saying before about james mason who was invited on the set of shining and starred in lolita as humbert humbert Mm -hmm. uh, he was maybe like Kubrick's dis first choice for the role. That's the um, rumor. Yeah. 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 Um, and he's a British uh, actor. So, like, why would Grady have an English accent when he's, it's the film is set in America? Yeah. And he was supposed to be like a caretaker from the United yeah. States. Yeah. Like, it's never, it's, you would be like, oh, he was an Englishman and maybe he wasn't used to our weather here or something. Like, I I feel like that would be something like Ullman would bring up in conversation, you know? Yeah. And that is an odd point. And also, yeah. I don't think the Grady that appears in the bathroom is the same Grady as the previous no. caretaker. 
No, I feel like it's somebody pretend like in his body pretending to be him or like projecting something like a we don't eat we can't establish that that's actually him he just says that's him yeah. you know he just calls himself Grady um but I do think it's really strange that he would have an English accent I mean I know why Hollywood seems to do it all the time it's like anything anyone who's bad in a <laughs> in a Hollywood movie has an English accent so which is yeah. stereotyping and you know what let's let's not keep doing that because just because we were the bad guys before doesn't mean that we still are yeah <laughs> sorry sorry for the american like revolution and all that and everything else that wasn't like my fault <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i'm apologizing but yeah. well i mean the the revolutionary war according to the founding fathers of America was mostly about getting us out of the central banking system hmm. that Kubrick's exposing in this film. Oh, like, okay. The, so it's a deliberate choice to have Grady have an English accent then. That maybe. Be. Yeah. Because I mean, the, the Rothschild red shield banking system came from the city of London. Right. And I mean, the background is red and white and you have the white lights and the reflective mirrors you know yeah that's another big point in this film is the mirrors mm. right yeah. and we forgot to mention that in our eyes wide shut breakdown but they're in that movie as well yeah yeah and this is another massive occult reference um well, didn't you tell me that mirrors are like a way to gain possession of people or like there's like you see things in mirrors like uh like you don't see in our universe i don't know like there was yeah. something you you said you you'll explain it but I, i'm sure there's been a lot of like really creepy videos where like <laughs> I, don't someone, I don't like someone will them. be like looking <laughs> in a mirror and mm -hmm. they'll move and the person they're looking at the mirror doesn't move yeah. As the kid was facing towards the camera with his back to the mirror, normally his backside should have been reflected in the mirror. However, when the picture was clicked, we can see that his face has been reflected in the mirror instead of his back. On top of that, it seems like the face in the mirror is actually looking towards the kid himself. In play, the kid is looking at the mirror initially with pure delight and amazement by seeing his own reflection. However, after a few seconds, the parent must have called out to their child to look in the camera and pose for the video. The child turns towards the camera, however, his reflection is still gazing back at him from the mirror. A baby is being recorded playing with his own reflection in front of a mirror. Everything was cute and normal up to this point. The baby turns towards the camera, maybe because the parents called the baby, but his reflection in the mirror stays as it is. Yeah, that reflection it just stays. stays the same. Or it takes a while for it to move like it's or it moves in a different way than the person's moving it's and this like has been caught on film a bunch with of the babe in the mirrors like a, yeah. yeah so in the mirrors like you see a lot of times in the internet like a baby will be looking at the mirror and then the image of the baby will stay the same and then the baby will move and it won't move and like you see these weird anomalies i really don't like it it creeps me out so it's also much. been referenced in witchcraft a lot mm. our mirrors and black mirrors that's why like you have that whole that whole uh, show called black mirror because if you look at a phone mm. what is a phone but a black mirror 
See what I'm oh, saying? Yeah, now you're showing the phone, showing it in the thing. It's like an infinite loop now of like yeah. reflecting. <laughs> See the mirror within the mirror within the mirror. Within yeah, the mirror. no. It's okay, so it's a black mirror. That's what these yeah. are. And that comes straight from the occult. And that definitely has like uh, value in the movie because Wendy or Jack, it's not really known, have a bunch of occult books mm. on their bookshelf in the house so like she's reading all these like weird satanic witchcraft type books including yeah. the catcher in the rye which she's reading while sitting there with uh danny at the beginning of the movie now i want to know what page on catcher in the rye <laughs> was she reading because it shows it to you on the screen so what's the tie-in with catcher in the rye because i quite like that novel and now you're making me feel like <laughs> I well, know it's, it's it was... connected to a bunch of like what they consider mind controlled assassins. Oh, the guy who shot John Lennon was, was obsessed it, yeah. with the novel for some reason. Yes. Yeah. It's considered like a mind control programming book for a lot of people, like a trigger book. A lot of like mind controlled, uh, uh, you know, potential assassins have these things on them. A lot of serial killers had this book. I don't know why I've read it too. I, I don't understand why. Cause I don't see anything in the book that's mm. would cause that, but maybe there's something hidden in there that I'm just not uh, maybe seeing. Maybe it's like a, uh, a phase, a, yeah. a phrase. Like, in Catcher in the Rye, isn't there a theme of underage? There's something implied about the main character and his sister. Yeah. Like his weird relationship with her so but i read a really long time ago so i can't remember all the i yeah. can't someone told me that but i'm not convinced by that because <clears throat> i i just don't see it but maybe but i think that's something that is being implied there's definitely oh i will just bring this up and they're talking about things that people are reading in the film do you know what magazine <laughs> jack is reading Oh yeah, it's a great point. Tell the audience, please. Oh, it's play, it's Playgirl, not Playboy, but Playgirl. And um, I think Rob Iger, um, in one of his videos, zooms in on that, and it has a weird article about incest on, like in the why parents that. sleep with their kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, did he bring that with him? Like, that is a really strange magazine to be having around in a very, like, prestigious hotel, you know. Especially I... in the 80s. Like, no. Yeah. Homosexuality back then was, like, very. But it's it's play girl, not play boy. Exactly. So that's just really odd, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I don't, don't get it. Like, why would you be reading? Play girl is for, like, women. gay guys and women. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why is he reading that in early 80s in public, just sitting right in public reading a Playgirl? Yeah, yeah that's like it. That's something you'd hide inside of some of the other magazine or something. <laughs> it's like such a strange thing to have. <laughs> like, yeah, so I don't know what is going on with like people reading weird things, but talking about like books and stuff, obviously Jack is a writer and we discover what he's been writing is all work and no uh, no play makes Jack a dull boy. Um, I don't know if anybody has tried breaking down what that sentence means exactly. 
I don't I think can't... it means anything because uh, I think it kind of is something there. Well, do you know when they they screened this movie in other countries, that mm. phrase changed. Mm. So in every country that The Shining got screened in, they changed it to another saying that was just like some random well-used saying like that in each country and it didn't necessarily even translate correctly so they just kept picking different random phrases to put in there for that scene yeah like, and I, each country has a saying that's similar like that yeah but i just think <laughs> of, like the words work play boy is kind of like maybe something going on there maybe yeah, yeah i don't know so but um that is like a, such a like creepy scene. Just the idea of like you coming across like <laughs> somebody's work and all they've just rewritten the entire sentence over and over again in like you know. It's just very strange. I think people have pointed out that sometimes he uses ones instead of L's. So it's A11, which they've said is like Apollo 11 reference. But I, don't, I think that's a bit of a stretch, personally. I did see in there a lot where it was, instead of dull, it was misspelled dill. D-I-L-L. Hmm. So I don't know. There was an I in there occasionally instead of a U. I really would love to get my, like, Kubrick kept everything in his, like, archives. I really want to get my hands on some of the stuff to, like, look through it and see. I feel like if I had that stack of paper, I could find something in it. Where is his archives? Well, they did have it on display. Like, you could go, and I never went. I think it was somewhere in London. But I don't know if it's on display anywhere else now. I don't know if it's been moved about or something. But, like, he kept everything. Field like... trip. Uncensored cinephiles field trip. <laughs> coming up. Oh, my God, that'd be amazing. I would love that. <laughs> I feel like we could go to, like, different locations where people filmed movies and just, like, oh, yeah. go there. That'd be so cool. But, um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, well, it's just a bit strange, isn't it, really? Like, what Jack's reading and what Wendy's reading. Um, I didn't notice the occult books, though, the witchcraft books. When Where's that? Uh, at the very beginning when she's sitting, when they zoom to Wendy in her little apartment on the bookshelf. Mm. Those are all occult oh. novels. And also there's um, a reference to H.P. Lovecraft um, okay. made in this. And H.P. Lovecraft is like straight up occult satanic like material oh. and um like kubrick like clearly knows about this stuff because in his archives there's that book on the occult for eyes wide shut mm -hmm. so like he clearly knows what lovecraft and all these other people are about and like you know you can clearly like he knows like about the blood sacrifice to get into their society like this mm -hmm. is what they have to have on people they have to have either 
sexual blackmail or have you sacrifice something to get into their thing so they can hold it over you. That's why like the skull and bones initiation ceremonies, they do like the lay in the coffin and jerk off in front of everyone else in the thing so they can hold that sexual blackmail against you. Um, this is well documented. This is how they, this is the, how they control people. This is how they get people. Once you're in their cult, there's no escaping it. There's no way out. Like once Jack sat down at that bar and he says, I would give my soul for a drink. He's now given his soul to the devil. And now he's to do the devil's bidding. God, anything for a drink. Goddamn soul. Just a glass of beer. Yeah, he's like in it. He's in a contract. He even says when he's um, trying to get to Wendy and he has a go, he's like, Do you know I'm in a contract? What will my employers think? You know, yeah. his employer isn't Ullman. He's talking about like the hotel as a as an entity. Um, yeah, the hotel clearly has its own like life force, and that yeah. becomes even more apparent in the follow-up Doctor Sleep, which is not mm. a Kubrick movie, but a lot of the things that people speculated about The Shining were confirmed by Doctor Sleep. Mm. Right. Yeah, which is something I'm keen to watch. I really want to watch that movie. Um, so it's a is there something else that we haven't picked up upon? Um, oh, there's so much more we can go into. There's so I have so much more to say about this movie. We could go on for another hour, probably. Yeah, I mean, I just I was trying to think. I, I sent you some screenshots, and obviously, mm -hmm. I've mentioned the the choking thing in the boiler room. But if you go back to that scene, you'll see very strange pictures up on the photographs up on the above the tool bench mm -hmm. and uh it's like pictures of like women and like is like one woman that looks like she's been tied up um they're very sexual images mm. um it just like if it was if i don't know if i like wendy seems like a kind of a, i said that she wasn't responsible but she is quite responsible in lots of ways to looking after danny i feel like she would have taken those down or remove them if you know cause... it's weird because when i watched it last night i noticed in halloran's room mm. when he's laying in the bed mm. he's got naked photos up on the wall of like african women yeah yeah like there's straight pornography like all around his room yeah it's he's an interesting character um we don't really spoken much about him um, the fact that he survives in the novel and is murdered in the film, um, I wonder what your sort of take on that is. But Why? is he murdered in the film? It would, I mean, we don't He's see... laying there dead, looking, yeah, but, but he might he, not be. Uh, I think he probably, like, I'm, I'm thinking that he is. We don't, like, um, see him at the end of the movie, like, Wendy and Danny just sort of get the heck out of there. So yeah. they don't go try and see if Save he's like, anything, yeah. <laughs> like, screw him. We're, we're, we're out of here. Thanks for coming to rescue us. But, you know, we're not. Yeah. Not even so, going to bother to check if you're alive or not. 
<laughs> yeah, she's got her priorities. But I, I think he makes an, I'm not sure, but I could have sworn to God that Halloran is in Dr. Sleep. Yeah, in the book, he's still alive and he is in. I think in the movie he makes an appearance though, but maybe he makes it as like a a specter. Yeah, it's quite possible. I can't remember. I'd have to watch the movie again for that specific point. I can't remember that one. But I think he's I, I'm I just think it's odd that he's the one to sort of get axed. And he's like uh people have mentioned that ooh, when they see him in the larder and he's got the um native american um i don't know what it is but the the tin with the native american on it is pointed at him and obviously he is a person of color and of like i think that's like kubrick saying about how like native people have been murdered and also sort of tying into like the slave trade and everything um with his character um and his his race and i think him getting murdered by jack who has been is the stand-in for you know the sort of the white oppression that has built america in a way so yeah he even um, references it where he goes white man's burden and then yeah. takes a sip of the good man you set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd, one by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. Yeah. It's just like um, all these sort of like little things that Kubrick added to the movie that you wouldn't really notice until you sort of like, look, it's just like, it's all very deliberately put there. So. Yeah. Like the blood rushing out of the elevator represents the the blood of the the blood river from like various uh, accounts of like Native American massacres where they like flooded the river full of blood. And it comes from like the lift. It's how the lift goes straight into the ground, which is where the burial site would be. So it's bringing back all of this. I think as well is interesting that you see, you mentioned about the floors that the lifts are on. Um, but I just wanted, before we, I, you know, uh, go there, the numbers, I wanted to mention that, do you think they look a little bit like eyes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, like, and it kind of makes me think of that face that Danny makes, you know, when he's like, seeing himself and it's like the choking sort of thing like it's like that gaping sort of like and then the blood rushing out I feel like that could be symbolic of like Danny's trauma coming out of him because uh, yeah. uh, open if those are eyes and the lift is meant to be a mouth like he says like um Tony lives in his mouth so I feel mm -hmm. like that's like the trauma coming out together it's kind yeah. of 
odd, uh, right? It's also interesting. I think Rob Iger pointed this out in one of his videos that when Wendy and Jack are going on the tour of the hotel, they come out of the lift even though they're on the ground floor. It's oh, just, that's right. Yeah, it's just really strange. Like the whole just, building is like totally the maze. The impossible window. Have you? Yeah, the, there's so many of those. In, like um, in Ullman's office. And, and people have tried to route like some of Danny's tricycle mm. routes, and like at one point he'll like turn a corner and be on the first floor, and then he'll yeah. turn another corner and he'll be on the third floor. Yeah, almost yeah. like he's as each corner he goes around is like another dimensional portal. Yeah, he's... which kind of cut ties into the whole thing. Like all of time is happening at once in the hotel. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like all of these dimensional sort of things are being like the the doors and the mirrors are gateways to this other realm, this other universe that is the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. So I don't know how long we've been talking. I feel <laughs> I really like it's don't been know. a while. Like, I feel like maybe, it is, maybe but... we should leave this as a part one and then we'll come yeah, back with I've a, got a part two. I'm excited. I got we'll we can do it together in person. Yeah, that's right. Uncensored yeah. Cinephiles coming to you guys live next broadcast. So obviously, I think we need to do another part two on The Shining because... I feel like we could do like four parts and we still wouldn't even yeah. get scratch the surface. Because there's a ton of theories out there we haven't even touched on. And I'm sure our audience will drop a bunch more yes. in the comment sections, hopefully. And we could explore some of their theories as well, maybe mm. in the next podcast. Mm -hmm. And also there's a whole bunch more in there. I mean, there's so many takes on The Shining, goes in so many different directions. There's so many different theories. We could go on for days and days and days. About <laughs> this could it, just turn into a podcast where all we do is talk about The Shining. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, we'll maybe do a part two or maybe we'll save a part two for a later time. Mm. And I think the next movie we should probably get into is Dr. Sleep because it mm. ties directly into The Shining. Mm. Um, and then maybe, you know, some of the other Kubrick films as well. Yeah, I feel like uh, Clockwork Orange would be a good one to uh, explore, but maybe also some of like Kubrick's, I say, lesser known works um like more of his overlooked films so like dr sleep would be an interesting one uh because again that sort of goes into the the whole uh germans and world war ii and infiltration of the american political system because the doctor strange loved being uh, a former nazi uh scientist and he's a major part of the movie so that's an interesting thing to sort of talk about. And Full Metal Jacket would be good as well because of the mm -hmm. the breakdown and um, the, I don't know how to describe it, like the sort of brainwashing of the recruits and how they're sort of like, it go through a similar sort of thing that Alex does in A Clockwork Orange. So yeah, it also like- A lot to explore. It ends with like that sort of animalistic face that both mm. Jack and I can't remember. Is Sergeant it Doyle? Pyle. Pyle. I don't know yeah. why I said Doyle. Pyle. Yeah, no, Pyle. Because they call him <laughs> Gomer Pyle. Yeah. Lot, right. So yeah. they both like when he does like that scene where he kills himself, they both have that like 
very creepy. It's the Kubrick look. stare, like yeah. that. It's something else. It really is. <laughs> I could do it. Let me try and do it. <laughs> that's creepy. I'm creeping myself out by doing that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we're getting it. <laughs> a thousand yards we're there. We'll practice. We'll practice it for next time. Oh, that's very creepy. Don't do that. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you coming to America? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. At a fancy hotel we're gonna go stay at called the Stanley Hotel. <laughs> oh, that sounds, that sounds lovely. I can't wait to go there. <laughs> it's the hotel that um is Stephen in Colorado. King, yeah. Stephen yeah. King famously stayed based, at, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly it. it's it actually is haunted. I don't know. What did you like more? That's a good question that we can okay. end with. Did yeah. you like Stephen King's book more, or did you like Kubrick's very different interpretation of this more um in terms of like classic horror novels um The Shining is a really good one it's got some generally scary moments in it and uh I am like a huge Stephen well I was I haven't really kept up with his work because he just like every other month there's a new Stephen King novel but I, as a young teenager, I was like very into Stephen King's work and The Shining was one of my favorite ones to read. Um, however, when I watched the movie at first, I was like initially didn't like it because it was nothing like um, King's novel. But now I'm more of a fan of The Shining, like Kubrick's The Shining than the novel. Um, and I, I just see them as so completely different. Um, you know, I, I can't really like, yeah, I, I like, I like the novel, but there's something about the movie that I can just keep returning to over and over again. I, I can't even put a number of how many times I've seen this film. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, I've seen, I've it, seen way, it at least 10 times. Yeah. I feel like I've seen it this year already, like three times. So that's <laughs> <laughs> like, I just watch it so often. It's just yeah. like the one movie that I brought on Amazon Prime. I haven't actually brought any other movies apart from that one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, no, I think the movie is for the first time in like almost ever i think the movie is as good as the book or better which is mm. not something you normally say about a movie no no right because so much like in the movie itself that isn't in the book that like exposes like stuff that i'm into mm. like this hidden sort of messaging thing 
um that makes the movie really fun to watch like there's so many Easter <laughs> I mean I, I don't and... think it's like something you could say fun as in like like entertaining I think you, yeah yeah it's like yeah. oh this is a wreck I can't wait to watch this with my granddad you know no the, like the one thing watch, that I did watch it with my granddad crazy and I still can't figure out what it is is when the two twins appear in the game room to Danny yes there's the monarch poster mm. to the left of them but there's some sort of painting yes which behind looks their head. like weird animal sort of thing it yeah looks like it has horns it looks really weird i want to know what that painting is yeah because i feel like very... that's very symbolic because their their heads are framing the painting mm. when they're standing there like really highlights whatever that painting is i don't know what it is and it's hard to see even on a big screen what it is so i wonder what painting that is it has any symbolic meaning and that's important because kubrick definitely picked a lot of paintings that were important for this film like there's a lot yeah, of and native wallpaper. american yeah and wall yeah like everything mm. everything is like so well organized and like thought of like the colors the color schemes the the red the bold red the the bluish green that yeah. that carpet and you know the carpets are just like when he Such when they weird, see yeah when jack sees the old lady in the tub mm. right she's representing in my opinion uh, a siren of the sea like the old tales of mermaids right because you have mm. the sea green room mm. she's in the water luring him yeah luring yeah. him and then once she has him all of a sudden she appears as she really is right mm. which is oh, like okay. what those old tales from the sea were about right? yeah not all mermaids are like ariel from <laughs> you know no the the tales of mermaids from the pirates of the sea they were much more uh along the lines of what you see in the shining where yeah they appear beautiful at first and then as you're drawn closer to them they turn into these like sea creatures that try to pull you to the depths of the sea right like who like eating shrimp <laughs> they may have a cave full of shrimps yes yeah yeah <laughs> all right so yes definitely a second part is i think Isn't necessary once we've gone through all the comments and all the other theories yeah. that are dropped down below i really and... yeah i really would love to hear what people say and what they can offer and if they know of any other sort of breakdowns stuff um i do think you should definitely be watching room 237 you you i'm pointing yeah. to you I will, telling before you we to do the next it. installment i'll go watch this documentary it's very good it's okay. i think it's free I, I think there's been some other people who've done good work on this that maybe mm. we should shout out yeah like ager robert ager is his name yeah he's done from collective learning he's done collective so many learning Co oh yeah sorry i yeah. can't remember what it was yeah. um, um <laughs> i just know him as ager a person I've done work with in the past that I've like talked with and been colleagues with and we don't get along anymore, but he has done good work on breakdowns of this is Jay Dyer, Esoteric Hollywood. I will give him props on his breakdown of The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut. He's done a very good job of that. 
Um, anyone else that there's a whole bunch of people out there that have done this, but I think those two are probably the best yeah. experts I've seen so far. Yeah. Um, I think it's just amazing that this film can like, st it, how many films from 10 years ago, you know, that we're talking about or five years ago or two years ago, we're still talking about this movie and it's been 40 odd years that we're still talking about it. That's how like significant and important this movie is. Yeah. And I think it takes a whole group of people on the internet to decipher what this movie's all about. You know, all of us coming together, sharing these yeah. theories, I think we're starting to get a better idea of what the film really represents. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would just love to have met Stanley Kubrick. Just yeah. To just have like 10 <laughs> minutes of conversation with him. <laughs> yeah. It would have been an interesting conversation, but where would you go with it is the real question. There's I know, so like questions. where do you begin? You need like a solid day of talking to him, really. Yeah, just on what <laughs> this one movie, like none of his other yeah. movies. Yeah. So, I would ask him, why did Kirk Douglas throw a chair at you on the set of Spartacus? Mm. Because I think there's some, I t I'm still convinced there's something about Spartacus and Kurt Douglas and Kubrick that hasn't been fully explored. Yeah, definitely. I think you're onto something there for sure. I've never heard anyone else make that connection either. So I think we brought some new insight to the matter today. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully people like this, please like subscribe and please share so we can start establishing ourselves in the film review community. <laughs> so. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> or you know maybe try to save the film review community from itself i don't know which but one of those things <laughs> so anyways thank you very much for taking the time to do this review with me bianca and thank you all to the people watching and we'll be back soon with another episode of uncensored cinephiles cinephile there it is. I don't, I, you didn't tell me that we were doing that so I wasn't prepared. Not prepared? Okay. Well, that's, that's <laughs> our new. I don't know. We got to come up with an ending or something. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Mm. How do we end the podcast? I think we just end it. All right. We just Goodbye, say bye. Everybody. Bye. Have a good one. <laughs>